Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. Just over there on the couch, texting. Nope. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone, including Brian, on the planet <laughs> right now or in the next 10 years. Uh, if it can kill us or turn us into very realistic sun gods, we're in. Um, our guests are, who oh boy, scientists, doctors, yes. engineers, politicians, activists, astronauts, even a reverend. Uh, and we work together towards action steps our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. This week's episode is, how the hell do we pull clean drinking water right out of thin air? Mm-hmm. Our guest is Professor Josh Wong. He's a professor of mechanical engineering at the University of Akron. Uh, in addition to pursuing bio-inspired materials research, he has worked on mechanical behavior and functional properties of polymers, electrospinning, which sounds awesome, by the way, uh, processing structure property relationships, coatings, bio and nanomaterials, and composites. Dr. Wong has authored and co-authored over 70 archived articles in book, journal, and patent literatures. In 2007, he was selected as a recipient for the prestigious National Science Foundation Career Award. Mm-hmm. And... Uh... He has invented some very cool shit uh, for everyone who enjoys uh, being alive on Earth, right? You asked me earlier, what's the one thing we all need? Uh-huh. Is coffee. W- is coffee, yes, obviously, water. but right after that is water. Yeah, we couldn't, couldn't have coffee. I mean, I guess you could chew the beans. Do people do that? I guess you can get those little chocolate-covered espresso beans. They're not. Those they're, are delicious. They're fine, but they're not a coffee replacement. In college, a friend gave me a bag of them, and I just ate them, and it was like five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And you know me, I have two beans and put the bag away. <laughs> Right. It went great. Um, anyways, great talk. Such a smart dude. And yeah. coming from a place of such moral integrity, which is why would I not use my capacity for innovation and discovery to help millions of people? Which feels kind of fucking unique these days. Uh, yes, sadly. But something to be inspired by and learn from. And because we give you action steps, something you can contribute to. Of course. Right? Pretty baller. All right, let's go talk to Dr. Wong. Our guest today is Professor Josh Wong, and together we're going to ask a question. Uh, Josh, how the hell do you pull drinking water out of the sky? Josh, welcome. (laughs) Well, in fact, uh, most of the uh, naturally occurring phenomena are already pulling water out from the sky. Uh, What happened is that um, the uh, moisture from the ocean vaporizes and become cloud, and cloud um, get blown by the wind, and then the, as the warm current and the cold current meet each other, the uh, uh, clouds start to uh, spin, and that causes precipitation. And uh, as the rain comes, uh, we collect the fresh water. So what I'm trying to achieve is to miniaturize this process and uh, use a heat exchanger to allow the uh, moisture from air to condense, and uh, by optimizing the surface-to-area uh, the surface area to volume ratio of the uh, membrane and uh, filter that we use, you know, to condense the water, we will be able to generate uh, fresh water from air. Well, that sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty pumped to dig into that with you here today. Sounds amazing. So, All right. Yeah. Could you just give us a little background on uh, on who you are and, and where you're working and what your story is? Just brief rundown. Yeah, I'm a material scientist by training, and I work with a lot of uh, different uh, materials, including polymers and composites, and uh, for their functional applications as well as uh, structural applications. I have been a, a faculty member uh, for 20 years, and um, uh, I travel 
pretty extensively, and particularly in places where it's affected by drought conditions. And I understand mm-hmm. different cultures. And uh, in some parts of the world, uh, fresh water is just a luxury, and uh, there's no groundwater, uh, and also the uh, groundwater gets contaminated. And many parts of the world, such as northern part uh, of China and a lot of uh, uh, part of in India, there's really no, uh, there's facing uh, drought and also desertification in part of the Middle East as well as uh, in mm-hmm. northern Africa and southwest part of the uh, United States. Mm. And, uh, and the groundwater has been depleted and uh, if not contaminated. And so there must be a new way and new innovation to come in order to uh, produce fresh water uh, for places that is far from the coastlines. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. And um, uh, governments in, across the globe uh, have uh, tried to use a centralized method to distribute water, which is not a very efficient way. Mm. And uh, my technology is trying to focus on decentralized uh, technology that will allow fresh water to be produced and uh, generated by individual uh, household, uh, individual who is uh, uh, re- uh, residing in places that is far from the coastlines. That's awesome. And, yeah. and so, Josh, it sounds like you've traveled uh, quite a bit. Uh, and you're, you said you're at the University of Akron. Are, are you from the United States originally, or are you from an area that was affected by this, and that's kind of what got you down the path? Well, I lived in the United States for well, 20, uh, well over 20-some years, but um, I also travel extensively in Asia, uh, been to the Middle East. Uh, I mm-hmm. also was just in the Vietnam and Cambodia this mm-hmm. uh, winter. And uh, I recognize that... Uh, this uh, fresh water is not just a, uh, a single geographic uh, problem. It's actually a common uh, problem for humanity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, in many parts of the world that undergo rapid industrializations, the groundwater has been depleted and uh, uh, used to cool uh, machinery. And so some of these uh, water has become contaminated sure. and uh, it cannot uh, be uh, recycle and they can only do uh, wastewater treatment. Uh, sometimes there's on, some limitation on that. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, desalination has been uh, a, a topic that uh, many governments try to invest, but those only sure. uh, help people. Uh, desalination only helps places uh, which is close to the uh, coastline. Right, right. And uh, a decentralized way to distribute water, such as uh, freshwater. Uh, harvester or freshwater generator uh, that can be applied um, either in a mobile equipment such as like a, a boat mm-hmm. when the boat is sailing in the ocean really there's no other way to get uh, fresh water but uh, you know what is stored in the uh, boat itself or it has to uh, source fresh water from air or it has um, to do with uh, places that is remote from the coastlines sure. uh, then they will have to uh, generate uh, fresh water locally. And and many of these, uh, the ideas that we have uh, can actually Mm -hmm. produce clean water uh, in any locality by having the water being uh, produced uh, by uh, just simple heat exchange uh, process with uh, optimized surface area to volume ratio, allowing water to... uh, uh, condense and then we can uh, filter it or this polymer that we use can also be antimicrobial mm-hmm. 
wow. and uh, doesn't allow virus or bacteria to grow, and that will have uh, uh, purified water that is immediately drinkable. Um, there are many ways that we could do it, but you know there are just uh, a host of uh, materials technology that we can sure. explore. I, I yeah. mean, that all just sounds uh, incredible, and I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to dig into that. Yeah. It is such Continue a big thing. Continuing into the way that you're doing it. Um, yeah. So, so uh, what, what we're gonna do, Josh, and everyone, obviously, as a reminder, uh, we're gonna, you know, provide some context here uh, for the question at hand: uh, How the hell do you pull water out of the air? Uh, and then we're gonna talk about some actionable steps that we can take to get to uh, the heart of of why we should give a shit and and what we can all do about it. That's awesome. So, uh, Josh, yeah. I feel like you're already heading this way, but we'd like to ask one kind of fun question uh, to set the tone of things. So instead of telling us uh, your entire life story, we'd like to ask, Josh, why are you vital to the survival of the species? A lot of uh, people are going to suffer. And as I travel uh, in many parts of uh, developing countries, uh, any place that is outside the city, I was in Phnom Penh just a month ago. Um, mm recently and um, any place that is outside the city there's no public water there's no uh, real uh, sewer system so um, to help there's still a lot of population who lives there and there's still a lot of people who live in places that are remote uh, and so to distribute or deliver uh, fresh water to those areas and mm. countries like India which uh, also particularly part uh, the India that is actually uh, further away from the coastline, they they have a freshwater crisis and they need uh, fresh water. There's no public water. There's no public sewer system. So uh, fresh water that is locally uh, produced from air is essential for the mm. survival and for the quality of life. And um, to extract water from air is not such a, uh, a fancy Thing. There's a way that we can actually extract water um, from air in a less efficient way called dehumidification. Mm. But then the, that process uh, requires uh, a high energy and uh, lower output. And what we do sure. is that we apply uh, novel materials uh, science technologies that will allow this process to be a lot more efficient and uh, it can uh, produce a much higher water harvesting efficiency and uh, our goal is, of course, uh, be able to produce uh, uh, 10 gallons of water an hour, and that's achievable uh, as long as we have the right conditions. Well, that's, I mean, that's really amazing. I'm going to try to provide a little context for everybody, too, on just what we mean by the, some of these water shortages. And, and it does feel like you're pretty damn vital if we can figure this out. Um, I mean, as you alluded to, you know, water is the, the one thing we need. Uh, I always think back to my my grandpa, uh, after he drank his cheap gin at night, and he used to say, water rusts the pipes. I don't know how, uh, where he got his water, maybe from the <laughs> melted ice cubes after he passed out. Unclear. But yeah. the rest of us need uh, water. We can get by with food for a little bit, without food for a little bit, but water, uh, not so much. And like you said, uh, Professor, there's there's water shortages everywhere. And uh, we talked about desalination a little bit. We'll get into that too. Uh, Brian, why can't we drink from the ocean directly? Because um, it's salty. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we would die. Yeah. Um, so we can process salty water, but it's it's hard and it uses a ton of energy and it's ex- it's expensive, getting cheaper. Uh, we're trying to use and not less just of it. that. 
Yeah. And not just that, because uh, water is used for cooling machinery. Mm-hmm. And uh, any places where there's manufacturing uh, facility or mm-hmm. manufacturing plants, they require a massive amount of water. In mm-hmm. fact, industry, industry takes away fresh water a lot faster, a lot more than the humanity. And um, they... They cannot use uh, salt water because the salt water will corrode right, the right. Uh, machines, and then the machines the machines will be broken uh, because of salt water. So maybe right. that's what your uncle so is talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah salt man. water makes the pipe dry. Yeah, me. right. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, and professor, again, please correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. I'm going to just blow through some stats here so people really get what we're talking about. For, from what I understand, forty percent today. 40% of the world's population is facing water scarcity. That's not 25 years from now when things get a lot hotter. So so uh, 700 million people are at risk of being displaced by intense water scarcity by 2030. And that's from Cape Town uh, to Canada, Sao Paulo, China, India, Los Angeles, where we are clearly uh, having serious freshwater issues and will continue to. 14 of the world's 20 megacities, uh, those with the largest or fastest growing economies and largest populations, are already experiencing water scarcity or drought conditions. Just some little facts. It takes between 26 to 53 gallons of water to grow the grapes and process them into one five-ounce glass of wine. Women and girls often bear the burden carrying water for their families for an estimated 200 million hours a day, if you're wondering how they're spending their time. Almonds require four gallons of water to produce one gram of protein. So it takes about 1,800 gallons of water to produce a pound of beef this comes out to about 27 gallons of water to produce one gram of land animal protein. So what do we do if we're just getting started? These, these water wars everybody talks about haven't even begun. We have to find these new, seemingly to us, crazy alternatives, but apparently not that crazy to Professor Wong, and that's what's awesome. Methods <laughs> that are accessible and affordable and efficient to the masses, no matter where they live, not by the coast. So, uh, Josh, could you just talk us through a little bit up until your... Uh, invention and, and discoveries here. W- what are some of the most promising current methods to democratize drinking water across the globe? Well, um, there are either uh, ways that are uh, similar to what we discussed about uh, using a heat exchanger technology, um, or you can use uh, solar power, but it also requires a lot of chemistry. Uh, what happened is that if you have, uh, if you run an industrial scale uh, dehumidifier in your basement, it could collect uh, one gallon of water per day. All right. Now, uh, of course, we are trying to do material science, and uh, we are trying to uh, use novel materials that will optimize the surface area to volume ratio, and also to uh, have a strong uh, superabsorbent. Uh, capacity that will allow the water to be extracted from air uh, in a much uh, uh, more efficient and energy efficient manner. So that's something which uh, we try to uh, keep it as uh, proprietary. But then the, on the other hand, uh, there are other technologies that uh, uh, use different designs and heat exchange systems and also use uh, uh, some kind of a chemistry that would be equivalent to some of the superabsorbent polymer technology that um, uh, we have uh, uh, looked at. And so uh, basically there are two ways. One is to extract the water from uh, 
air using uh, wind uh, and uh, mm -hmm. air is being sucked into the heat exchange system and uh, allowing the heat exchange system to outperform any existing one to uh, uh, condense water. And then uh, another way is to use some kind of uh, water absorbent chemicals that uh, extract water from air and powered by other forms of energy. So either way, I think my focus is uh, unique in a way that uh, we use nanotechnology, that's for one. Second is that uh, we want this to be so decentralized that we can actually mount it on any mobile equipment, uh, such as a boat or drone or any place that uh, it moves and they can uh, gather water at the same time as uh, this uh, delivering it. And then the, ultimately, well, that's a, a long-term goal. We hope that uh, we can miniaturize this process just like the uh, world's ecosystem works and how rain is being generated. We try to miniaturize it in a way that it can fit into a backpack so that anyone who carries a backpack to climb up the hill uh, with a battery supply, power, and uh, it can actually, and when they get to the top of the mountain and hike, it will get uh, one gallon of water and uh, to drink it. And uh, when it comes down to the hill, it will also collect another gallon. So, well, anyway. Uh, that, are, that, that seems wild. That that's uh, Yeah, there are a lot of wild ideas. Yes, so, exactly. So, th thanks. Great, great description of what you're doing, except that I'm so far away from being a professor. Um, <laughs> talk to me like I'm, a, like I'm four years old. I mean, you, you're talking about miniaturizing it. What, what, is it, what does it look like? Would, would everybody have one in, in their home? Uh, anyone could have it at a home if they have a windmill, or anyone could have it in a car if there's a powertrain in the car. Anyone can have it uh, in the drone which could be either one that is sailing in the ocean or it could be um, flying in the air. Um, so describe it to us. Is it, is, it a, is it a funnel? Is it a net? Is it, is it a bucket? Is it an intake system? I'm just trying to help the people really understand what it looks like. Well, it's actually an optimization of uh, a heat exchange process that allows uh, moisture to be in contact with a large surface area in a, a per unit volume uh, basis. So um, it's not rocket science, but it's actually, it actually requires uh, some uh, material science technology. It requires some uh, heat exchange design. With the right temperature and pressure, water could be generated from air. Does it have a, is there an on-off switch? Are there dials and settings? Like, what, if I wanted to, if you gave me one right now, how the hell would I turn it on? Well, you will need uh, some power source. Uh, if okay. it's like uh, electricity, you can actually power it. Uh, if you have an automobile, there's already existing powertrain. The car is driving, right. it hits the wind, and then there's already an air conditioning system in the car. You just convert that heat, uh, air conditioning system, modify it, and to allow it to actually gather water and uh, with high efficiency. And then the, the car already has a lot of... Uh, you know, it has room for for fuel, and that uh, you know, it could also create some room for uh, water, fresh water, and uh, with a filter, you can uh, drink the water immediately. You no longer need any cup holder in the car. Uh, right, right. So uh, the fil so it has a filter as well. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, overall, it's going to be a system that will be integrated. Uh, right. 
yeah, so that the water is immediately drinkable. And this is achievable, and there's a competitor that were already producing it, but except that they don't have the same focus as I have on the, um, integrating it with mobile equipment. Okay. Gotcha. So that's your thing. You want to you want to make it mobile and that's make it make it small. Size. Yeah. So yeah, and and you know I mentioned earlier, and I think uh, it's it really is incredible. We talk about you know much of the world can be f- fixed by liberating the time and education and health of women and girls who uh, again for about two hundred million hours a day across the world are 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 fetching and carrying water for their families. So. Tell me how an invention like yours applies to like that specific situation. Paint paint me a picture of how how it helps those women. Yes, if uh, the residents uh, of those women uh, doesn't need to, they don't have to go and walk and uh, collect water from the well. They all need is just to have a uh, little fan or windmill uh, that is uh, like a sustainable housing. That is uh, integrated with the house. The windmill can actually be powered by wind, and then it can generate electricity for the house where they live, and it can also produce water at the same time. So it's a dual dual uh, functions. So so they um, literally don't have to go anywhere. No, you don't. They don't have to go to the well to dig it and uh, to uh, pull the water from the ground. They can just, and it's clean. It's clean. Yeah, it's immediately drinkable. Uh, just like any reverse osmosis system, we can uh, purify the water and uh, um, uh, we can also integrate some of the chemistry that will actually uh, kill all the bacteria and so the water will be safe to drink. So, I mean, pardon my French, but it sounds pretty fucking incredible. I, I, I mean, and, and game-changing, again, you look yeah. at a number like that uh, and what some of these women have to do and and some of the sometimes the danger they're in doing that besides how tough it is on the body and the hours lost Right. To not being in school or not working or farming, uh, when when all around the world the statistics say women are better farmers than men, shocker. Uh, <laughs> so it sounds I- incredible. How and obviously I know you're you're in, you're in early days here. <clears throat> how how scalable is this now and in the future? How affordable is it? We talk about you know this could change their lives, but w- what what does that require financially to build one of those out? How much does it cost for that family or for someone to? donate to whatever to say I built one of these windmills right. and water systems. What are we talking about? Paint that picture for me. Well, to do a proof of concept experiment, we can um, possibly just, we primarily involve manpower. We need graduate students who can actually devote time to work on this. And industrial scale heat exchanger is costing less than $2,000 a piece. Uh, and that can produce a lot of uh, uh, water. And um, the material science, uh, that is uh, the research and development costs, that will cost more because of primarily the manpower. But ultimately, once this manpower and research and development are resolved, the actual production costs will be minimal because... Um, if a big corporation such as uh, auto companies or those shipbuilders are willing to work with us, we can immediately just integrate this technology into the uh, equipment. And um, it really uh, costs very little. And for those uh, women who have to walk a long way to get to the well, uh, we can uh, prepare a small-scale uh, water generator 
that is powered by wind energy. We just need to build uh, a windmill, like in uh, places uh, in the Netherlands, they have a lot of windmill uh, mm. that can power so residential in the near. How big are we talking? What so if I'm one of these women uh, that's walking so far for water, uh, and and I'm and I through I don't know if this is a future or through a nonprofit or whatever the organization might be, and I, I'm gonna I want one of these at my home. Uh, what size of windmill are we talking? How big is this whole machinery for them? Well, I believe a uh, hundred megawatt uh, windmill that will be able to power a village and also to generate water for a village. Mm-hmm. And, oh, uh, so it's not each person; it's a whole village. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, if if uh, if we are talking about a lot of women having to walk a long distance, they probably are sharing a well, and they sure, probably live right. in a village. And uh, and for one large windmill, it should be sufficient to power not just the electricity for the whole area, but also uh, to supply water for the uh, whole area. And so uh, wow. then they don't have to, you know, you just need to in- install a pump in each house and pump the water from the storage tank. And that should not be a difficult task um, to do. But then, of course... Uh, Ideally, we wanted to uh, produce this water generator like in a, in a, just a electronic store uh, where they can just go and get an appliance and bring it home and plug it into electricity. And that, that will uh, probably cost about $2,000 a piece. Gotcha. Yeah. So if, the, say, for example, well, ultimately, we will have to scale up the technology and that will uh, possibly... Um, if we just plug it into a place where there is electricity, a good quality one probably will cost that. You know, we can possibly uh, manufacture it. Uh, if the technology is successful, we can manufacture it at a lower cost, and that will cost a, a few hundred dollars. But then mm-hmm. it's all a question of uh, the, the major investment right now is research and development, and to identify the right materials for the work to optimize the water extraction but it's to miniaturize the ecosystem and how to produce. As you see in raining uh, conditions, uh, there's tons of water. The water is just being wasted. It drains uh, and then uh, flows back to the ocean. Uh, there are reservoirs, but the rain doesn't always uh, uh, rain in the reservoir. It always goes to places where it actually is being wasted. When it's actually... Say in India, when the rain comes and it's uh, flooded on the street, and then it get uh, contaminated with all the soil, and then it cannot be. Uh, it will be a lot more expensive to separate it. So the 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 point is that we can try to extract water in areas uh, which uh, anywhere you you try to be with a minimum uh, humidity, and that uh, from air you can extract it, and as long as there's a power, you can convert the energy. Uh, and then created water easily. The so you said that the main obstacle clearly is that is the the, the manpower and the research. What do, what's happening? What are you doing to to overcome that? Well, uh, there are a couple of ways. One is that we work with individuals or corporations who are interested to help us uh, work and uh, uh, provide the sponsorship. Uh, for the work that we do, and they can license the technology that we uh, produce. 
another way is that uh, we can uh, 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 form a startup and then uh, we can go after those uh, venture capitalists and they are quite interested to fund this kind of work, except that uh, all all different kinds of routes, uh, there's always some kind of uh, uh, indirect complexity involved. Sure, sure. So you, what are you, are you working on that right now? You've, you've, uh, are, are you taking steps to form, form, form a company or, or reach I'm, out to people? I'm taking steps uh, to reach out to people and uh, ask for sponsorship. At this point, I have some yeah. success, but I'm, I, I don't have enough uh, uh, sponsorship to allow me to sponsor graduate students yet. Uh, we mm. have enough money to do some uh, supplies and consumable purchases, uh, but then we don't have the manpower ready. Uh, we need probably uh, a good one for a year or so that will actually help us put together a prototype. And once the prototype is ready, then we can uh, think about uh, the startup or to think about sure. other venture capitalists who are willing to uh, fund us. So just to help, again, paint a picture for, for folks who might want to do something like this or uh, or, or help or, or things like that. What, how, to, to get to that prototype stage, you know, you said you, you don't have enough. What, what kind of funding do you feel like you actually need to do it and do it to do that right? Well, to have the enough manpower to research the right uh, materials, there are a lot of uh, super absorbent materials that we can explore. And uh, we need to integrate the design with the heat exchange uh, process. And to do that, uh, it costs about maybe in the order of about $500,000 mm-hmm. because uh, there's overhead costs in the university. And um, uh, as a research project, that's around uh, in that order of magnitude. But if we just need to have uh, some supplies and uh, to hire some temporary uh, student to help us put one piece or two pieces together, that might probably take only uh, a few tens of thousands. Gotcha. And and how long, obviously, <clears throat> disclaimer, science is hard. <laughs> you know, assuming you get that sort of funding, how long does this process take, do you think, to get to working prototype? To get a prototype ready, it probably takes about one year, I would think. Yeah. Because, it's not bad. Uh, yeah, because uh, we know how to put it together. It's just all about, um, of course, if uh, there's a corporation such as like uh, an auto industry or a boat industry that actually uh, wants to work with us, they already have some existing system. We just need to modify it. If there is right. a heat exchange manufacturer which produce heat exchanger for air conditioner, for refrigerator, or for, for uh, the humidifier, we, we can work with this company, uh, then that will speed up our process of trying to, we just need to modify what they have and we just uh, create a prototype much quicker. But of course, uh, if we have to put it all together by ourselves, it will take a little longer time. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Sounds like such an incredible and necessary idea. Like if you know, if you said that to anybody, I would just think they would be like, "Hell yes, let's do this!" Right? Of course. Yeah. Just, if you know anyone in South Southern California who owns a yard, <laughs> or who owns like a <laughs> Brian. Uh, yep, you're talking to him. No, just kidding. <laughs> right. And you know someone who actually uh shipbuilders or they they have no other choice other than, you know, either pumping enough water before they sail yeah, or sure, sure. they have to produce water in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. So what uh, when someone contributes to 
the stage you're in, is that what sort of entity is that going to? Is that going to a lab? Is that going to a nonprofit? How is like for like what? How is my money treated? I guess in that sort of situation. Just trying to illustrate for folks, you know, because people know like, oh, I can donate to Charity Water and and that's tax deductible, and they go build right. wells. But for something a stage like this, I think it's a little more of a gray area for folks. I'm curious if you can tell us about that. Yes, I'm happy to. Now, if it's just a donation. The university can also uh, accept donation. It's a foundation uh, that has the uh, charitable uh, mission uh, that accept donation. But then there's no intellectual property and no string uh, attached to that. Mm. Uh, if the uh, individual who wants to uh, license the technology, then they will have to sponsor this uh, as a research project. And uh, any kind of intellectual property I would produce belongs to the state of Ohio. And uh, yet, uh, anyone who sponsors me can negotiate uh, for licensing right of the technology. So um, Fascinating. That's, that's a, a very uh, smooth process to be worked out. Depends on uh, what the uh, sponsor wants to accomplish. If the sponsor just wants to help us uh, and uh, fund a few students without any strings attached, donation to write off taxes is feasible. And if the sponsor wants to license the technology, then the research uh, project will be the right way to go. Uh, If the sponsor wants to commercialize uh, together with me and uh, tap into all the other resources that I have, then uh, we can negotiate um, on another on another front. Fascinating. That's I think that's really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to be involved in things like this, right? Uh, and it's I quite think, an opportunity, right? Yes. Right? Right? But but I think helping them to understand what where it's going. You know, again, donations to the university and and licensing and things like that. And there's going to be just people who want to send twenty bucks. So I'm, sure. I, you know, we want to help them understand that. But then also more specifically, and this is kind of getting into to, to what we try to do here is uh, uh, literally give them specific ways where they can, where they can contribute here. Yes. Uh, ultimately, it's not that hard to uh, think about it. Uh, the ecosystem and our natural habitats uh, created uh, fresh water for us. The, uh, moisture vaporized from oceans becomes a cloud, and cloud precipitate under right uh, temperatures and pressure, and uh, becomes rain. And the rain uh, gets soaked under the ground, and it becomes groundwater. And the rain also uh, uh, falls under the top, top of the mountain, become ice, and then it flows into the creek. The creek goes to the river. The river goes to the lake, and then the lake goes to the ocean. So it's just the whole process that we are trying to uh, mimic and try to uh, use a heat exchange process to uh, miniaturize this. Sure. It sounds like just such a good idea and clearly not uh, something that can be done uh, easily. Um, Aside from the manpower you need, the money you need, of course, um, what other obstacles uh, are are you facing? How could this fail? Well, the... Other obstacle would have been uh, the, in fact, with the right manpower, we could possibly design the right idea because there are a lot of uh, uh, 
super absorbent materials that we can explore, including cellulose, including uh, polymeric base, including other uh, uh, systems with metallic. Uh, but then uh, ultimately, this and materials integration, how we actually integrate into a system that will actually create the optimized uh, delivery of uh, output and uh, minimize the energy input. So we can generate water, as I mentioned earlier, you can uh, go and buy a dehumidifier for 200 bucks uh, mm-hmm. uh, online. They can produce fresh water for you in your basement or in your house. But, you know, the efficiency is low. So what we are trying to accomplish is to use nanotechnology, material science, and to optimize the process of uh, water extraction from air. And ideally, this will be integrated with uh, mobile equipment such that there's uh, water storage capacity and also there is uh, purification and it's immediately drinkable. So that's different from the humidifier because the water from the humidifier is not immediately drinkable. Oh, yeah, I've tried. You don't want to drink that. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, uh, Professor, are you aware of other uh, people who are trying something similar? And if so, uh, w- w- how they're doing? Well, most of them actually started, uh, I started in 2012, but then I got busy with some other things. Uh, but then most of them started after 2012. So, yeah. but we are focusing on a very, I try to uh, dis- differentiate myself from them because um, they they are, are quite successful to some extent, but I wanted to be more decentralized in the right, uh, and I also want to apply nanotechnology, which they don't. Uh, so that's something which I try to differentiate myself. Got to use the nanotech. I mean, right? come on, right? Every day, and you got to differentiate yourself. It's very important. Well, um, all right, it's because of the Go high ahead. surface area to volume, yeah, ratio for sure, for sure. Um, all right, so Professor Wong, we talked about this for a second, but well, you know, our our aim here. Uh, eventually with each episode in conversation is to help our listeners affect change uh, personally with their voice, uh, their vote and their dollars. So let's get specific. What can listeners do to help support your project? Let's start with your project. You, you, you mentioned it's sort of, it seems like a conglomeration of university donations and, and other things, but let's paint a picture. Let's say it's somebody Who's uh they 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 donate to a, a few worthy causes that they care about every year, and they've got um you know a hundred to to two hundred bucks they want to contribute to your project. So they're not going to change your life, but assume there's a bunch of those people. Uh, how how does that work? What's what's the best way for that to work? Well, if a hundred or two hundred bucks, they can always pull together and contribute uh to University of Akron Foundation. Uh, that will allow. Uh, this foundation to uh, provide, well, it's a charitable donation and it will allow us to support uh, some of the students' projects and uh, allow the students to play with these ideas. And, uh, and and what should, and, and again, just to get really specific, what, is there something they need to note when they're making the donation right. to, so that it goes to the right place? Yes, uh, they can note it as a, like this is a, a gift to research gift uh, to support uh, water harvesting research by univer- uh, by Josh Wong, Professor Josh Wong. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, they can contact University of Akron Foundation. I can provide the names. They can contact me first, and I can provide the names. Uh, we have development office. We have the foundation who collect uh, these uh, uh, gifts and donations that can write uh, off the taxes. The other route is uh, for uh, some of your cli- uh, clients or listeners who are uh, corporations uh, who like to collaborate with us. Uh, might be able to help us speed up the process. And another possibility is some of those uh, who have deeper pockets and wanted to sponsor our research and ultimately license the technology and bring it to other parts of the world that will go through our research office, which they still have to contact me first, but then I can direct them to the research office. Beautiful. Well, we will definitely uh, get get that straight and put that all in the show notes right. for, yeah. for Research everybody. means that there's intellectual property involved. Donation sure. means that there's no string attached, right? But you can Got still it. be specified to support water harvesting research under Professor Josh Wong. Nice. I love it. All that. right. So, and if, they, you know, say this, uh, one of our listeners can't provide money uh, and uh, we're not voting right now, so we can't support in that way, what could, uh, what can we do uh, you know, when speaking to our representatives, what what questions should we be asking our representatives? Actionable questions. Yes, uh, you can uh, ask your representatives to connect me to people who might be able to support uh, my uh, research as well as uh, my goal to reach out to places uh, that have no fresh water. And um, there are companies and there are corporations and individuals who like to uh, help freshwater, uh, you know, elevate or to mitigate the freshwater crisis that is coming up uh, to us, not just uh, in North America, but many parts of the world. Uh, for those places, for those people, uh, it's best for them to, uh, at least I have a voice to uh, explain to them, you know, what my technology is about and how my technology could uh, uh, help solve this problem and uh, see if they will be interested. So that that would be a great way if your listeners can connect me Mm -hmm. to people who might have those resources, and uh, that would be very helpful. And uh, there are people who are interested in sustainable housing. That's one way, you know, if um, there are people who would like to build uh, environmental-friendly houses uh, that we can try to collaborate and uh, just create a a power generator that will allow the water to harvest inside a house. That's one way to do it. There are people who actually build ships, and uh, that would be great. You know, they already mm-hmm. have a heat exchanger in place. All we need is just to uh, collaborate and try to work out uh, something that will actually allow them to store water in their boat. Sure. And, yeah, uh, it seems to make so much sense. Yeah, if you can connect me, uh, your listeners can connect me with uh, people who are willing to uh, uh, or take interest in this uh, freshwater uh, crisis or freshwater issue, uh, that would be uh, greatly appreciated. Or even uh, government agencies uh, who wanted to sponsor some kind of disruptive technology that will actually sure. not just purely uh, on desalination, wastewater treatment, or uh, water diversion that would be helpful. The re- the point point is you're in LA, and uh, I understand you know uh, there's often a drought conditions and uh, wildfire as well. Yeah, 
but uh, we have tons of water in the Great Lakes, but we cannot pump the water from the Great Lake to LA because that will not just uh, not cost effective, but it will also disrupt the habitat of the Great Lakes. So we end up sure, losing right. we end up losing uh, water and uh, <laughs> the lake, and so it will not work. It, that happened a lot in China, and that's why uh, it's uh, it's not a good way to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Very good. I hope the state of Ohio is helping you out. That's right. Um, uh, Professor, it's, uh, uh, it's been an awesome conversation, and we, we really, really appreciate it. This is seriously such a cool topic, and I wish I had $500,000 to give you. Um, thank you very much for chatting <laughs> with us. We, we have a few last questions uh, that we ask everybody, uh, if that sounds good. Sure. Quinn, okay. Quinn likes to call it a lightning round, but it's not a lightning round, so just okay. be prepared. Okay. Uh, all right, Professor. I feel like you could have 10 answers to this. When was the first time in your life uh, when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? First time in life that will change, I would think that I was very uh, well-versed in different cultures and uh, understanding different cultures can make a lot of difference because uh, 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 people of different cultures do things very differently. There's some unique reason why that uh, there is a water problem in some part of the world and not so much in another part of the world. So mm -hmm. it's just like wealth that is not equally distributed, uh, but water is also neither equally distributed. Uh, water has been uh, monopolized by some people, but not so much uh, by others. So I think that there are some cultural issue, and also there's also... Uh, some geographic issues. So I, I think that the power of change comes from the appreciation of different culture and appreciation of uh, the common needs of humanity. So that's how I can make any change. I, I love that. Um, Professor, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? I think that um, in the past six months, I read uh, quite a lot, I think, about Muhammad Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. So I think that uh, some of these people made some impact in how I think. Um, uh, yeah. Awesome. I, they're they're in, in incredible humans. I've got uh, I've got a few young kids who are, who who care greatly about the world, and we found some wonderful uh, books, uh, children's books. Um, it's the it's a series called I Am uh, by a gentleman named Brad Meltzer, uh, and I'll put those in the show notes. And he's there's a wonderful book on on Gandhi, on Martin Luther King Jr., on oh, yeah, Rosa Parks. Before, yeah, yeah, just yeah. wonderful ones that that I think um, you don't have to be uh, old to and and be able to read and have perspectives to start to really yeah. understand what the some first, of these the people book can I do. have about the biography of Muhammad Gandhi was from my first. Uh, PhD student uh, uh, named uh, Sri Kumar Pesarath. Uh, well, he turned out to be an author of a book uh, that actually teach people how to make energetics. But anyway, <laughs> that's a secondary issue. Wow. Uh, but then the, there's a book uh, by Martin Luther King Jr. called Strength to Love. And I think that's a very uh, powerful book and uh, that made a lot of impact on my mind. Excellent. Um, hey, Professor, when you feel super overwhelmed, what, what do you do? 
specifically to sort of calm yourself and center yourself? Well, when I'm overwhelmed, I try to surf on the internet and uh, try to relax myself, uh, maybe just going for a hike and uh, feel uh, that how much we are blessed in a place where we can just breathe fresh air and uh, we can have sanitation and we don't have to worry about the quality of water. In many parts of the world, you don't have that luxury, even sanitation. Yeah. You know, if you travel to uh, some of the developing countries, you realize that sanitation is actually a real luxury. And I live in uh, a, a place uh, that was uh, uh, in a primitive area, northeastern part, uh, that borders with North Korea and China for about uh, less than a month in my life. And that was a very transformative experience. And then when I came back, I, I went to some of the uh, places where not many people like to go in Ohio, but I found those places like paradise, relatively speaking. Because uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, we are just so fortunate in North America that sanitation has been taken for granted. But it's actually a luxury to many uh, millions and millions of people in other parts of the world. Yeah, pretty wild. Sure. Okay, uh, uh, Professor, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would that book be? Uh, to gift or to... Yeah, <laughs> basically, we, we ask all of our guests, you know, we, and we've gotten answers from coloring books to the Constitution to incredible uh, biographies or, or fiction. Uh, you know, what, what's one book you feel like he could learn a lesson from, assuming someone read it to him? I would uh, give him the book the biography of uh, Chairman Mao. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he seems to be playing by the same book. <laughs> oh. Yeah. They, they don't. They don't seem too far off. Yeah. Seems to be. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But did, what was his name again, Professor? The biography of Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao. Yeah. Mao Zedong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, professor, last one. Uh, if you could use this uh, this conversation, this podcast to to speak truth to power, any last things uh, you would like to say to our listeners? I would say that uh, um, one of the driving forces for me to uh, continue to pursue is not just simply a scientific uh, topic, but it's more so a humanitarian topic. Uh, often we as scientists can actually choose many different uh, topics and ideas to research, but uh, something that will actually make a lasting impact is not necessarily something that uh, earns a few bucks or to make a, a quick uh, return. Sometimes some of our work that can actually make a lasting impact is work that actually affects more people and not so much about uh, what are the hot topic of the time or hot topic uh, for uh, commercial objectives. So I think that's one thing that I would like to let people know. Uh, we have a moral obligations. We also have an obligation to our society that we uh, try to use our intellect to not only just to help uh, consumers, but also to help uh, everyone. Uh, such that they can benefit from our intellect as well. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, uh, is there somewhere, uh, uh, you know, on social media where our, where our listeners could follow you, Professor? Um, 
No, Keep because I, I'm an academic. So uh, on social media, I try to be careful and cautious because, sure. uh, yeah. Um, but then uh, otherwise, they can always contact me uh, by my email. And um, uh, I have a LinkedIn page if they want to connect with me. Um, Great. But uh, on social media, uh, I don't usually post things that are uh, wild. And so they won't really see that much from me. <laughs> on the social media. It's probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, listen, Professor, we cannot thank you enough for your time today. Um, and yeah, really obviously, for the work you're doing, um, like you said, uh, to use your morality and your intellect to potentially benefit um, millions, millions of, a wider of people. A wider group of people instead of just like uh, a, a hot uh, topic or hot uh, sure. you know, right. technology. But it's more so uh, that will create a lasting impact. Wow. It, it 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 will. Uh, we we believe in you. We're excited to check in with you down the line and see everything's going and and hopefully funnel some some support your way. Um. So thank you so much, Professor. We we really do appreciate your time and and wish you all the best out there. And I also wish both of you good luck and uh, all the best for both of you. And thank you very much for your time. And uh, let's keep in touch if possible. Absolutely. Sounds great, Thank Professor you, Wong. Thank you. Yep. Bye bye. Have, yep. have a great right, day. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at Important Not Imp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important. Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.